0: Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray.
1: Hi, welcome to the Nine Line podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette. Joining me as always, Joshua Gray. Hi, John. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, finally getting some nice fall weather out here. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. I had my pumpkin spice latte this morning. Oh,
2: geez, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> it is hoodie weather now, though. It so is, I'm very, very happy that I can, you know, go into the closet and finally break the hoodies out. It last week was the first week in I don't know how long that I didn't have to turn the air conditioning on in my house. So I'm looking forward. I'm glad fall is finally here in November. Ugh.
1: And your Buckeyes beat my Badgers. So yes, all is they right certainly in the world, did.
2: Right? All is all is right in the world, <laughs> except you know what I, f- I feel like doing right now? What's that? I'm gonna quit. You gonna quit? I'm gonna quit.
1: Okay. Yeah. You gotta, what are you gonna quit?
2: Um. Well, I don't smoke, but if if I did, <laughs> and this was a better intro to our guest today, that would be that would be what I would quit.
1: That's a good enough reason. Um, So this is a topic that we've talked about before, but we've never had these two wonderful guests on before, so I want a warm welcome for Dr. Jana Broxton. She is the Health Behavior Coordinator and Dr. Ashley Rich, and she's the Behavioral Health Clinical Pharmacy Practitioner. And really what they're here to talk about is smoking cessation and the Great American Smokeout in November. So welcome, ladies.
3: Thanks Thanks for having us. Yeah, there's no time like the present to quit given upcoming flu season we have, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, yeah. there's so many reasons, and yeah. we'll talk about all those reasons <laughs> today. But yeah, flu is as good a <laughs> good a reason as any. Uh, so, you know, we've done podcasts about smoking cessation in the past, um, talking about quitting, reasons to quit. and And we'll talk about some of those for people who weren't listening a couple of years ago. But one thing that you guys wanted to bring up today that we've never talked about before was... Why the Great American Smokeout? What's the reason for having it in November, and what's the the history of it?
4: Yeah, good question. Obviously, it's been around for quite some time, since the 70s, and it was founded by the California Division of the American Cancer Society and how it was brought about is they were just really noticing a lot of issues in terms of developing different diseases and other aspects with smoking so they put their minds together and said hey let's have this great American smoke out well tentatively back then it wasn't quite called that yet Um, but in 1976 they basically went within the state of California and asked folks to quit smoking and they got over 1 million people to stop smoking that day which was on the 16th and um, I believe that was also in November so that's pretty cool and then fast forward a year they decided to do it nationally Um, so in 1977 they deemed it the great American Smokeout, and that's when we started to take effect um, across our nation and then the VA has observed that day um, on the third um, I think it's the third week of every November Um, so we're doing that here soon which is on the 16th of November of this year
1: you know and it sounds like you know it's 1970s so 50 years that this has been around but really when you think about it it wasn't until the 1960s where doctors were openly talking about that smoking was harmful um and you think about you look you know, i wasn't around for it i don't think any of us were around <laughs> for it but when you see you know movies and tv shows and you know read articles about what the world was like in the 60s and 70s and you smoke on airplanes you smoked in the office you know it I heard heard chiefs talking about, you know, well, back in my day when I was, you know, we'd smoke in the office all the time. That was the 90s. Yeah. So we're not that far removed from when smoking was a much more commonplace in our society.
4: Yeah. And even in the Vietnam era, a lot of times to build morale, they'd hand out cigarettes for free so that at least some of their times preoccupied by doing something that was at least somewhat fun. And smoking was one of the things. So a lot of our um, military culture is really enmeshed in tobacco use as well.
1: Yeah, and that's, and that's one thing that we kind of want to talk about today was just, you know, how, kind of how the smoking got really ingrained into the veteran culture, into the military culture, and, you know, ways that you guys are, are working to try to break that. Um, I know three of us here are veterans. And I know that, um, you know, I will admit that during my time in the military, there was a time where I smoked. And I, I don't know if I would ever go so far as to call myself a smoker, but, you know, especially when I was in Afghanistan, you had breaks you'd, you know you'd spend some time sitting out in the bomb shelter which was outdoors and a hardened facility and people would be out there smoking and you know there were times where I joined in because it was what else were you going to do you know and like you said you know there were cigarette companies in World War II, Korean War Vietnam who were actively giving those cigarettes out to to military and you know while those might seem like care packages or whatever i mean there's been memos that have been put out you know that have been leaked between different cigarette company um, executives basically calling out that veterans are the military are a very easy susceptible audience.
4: Yeah so, very true
1: yeah it's something that you know that I'm sure you guys are, are trying to actively <laughs> fight against now.
4: Yeah, and like you were saying earlier, I'm also um, a veteran, I was in the Army, and a lot of the time you felt obligated to go and hang around what we called the smoke shack, because a lot of our key leadership would be out there having discussions, and then I was part of leadership myself, and I'd be left out of the decision, (laughs) so...
2: Um, so yeah, I was, I was, uh, I never picked up smoking when I was in the air force, but I was certainly a secondhand smoker because if everybody else is going to go outside, I'm going to go outside too. Um, so, you know, you're talking about some of the things where historically, you know, we talked about, you, they handed them out in rations and that's not the time we live in now. Yeah. Right. We've been hitting anti-smoking messaging and the military and everybody has been actively discouraging cigarettes for so long now. So I guess my question is, is why is it still a problem? Like you, you have to avoid like on purpose, you have to avoid messaging about how bad smoking is and, and all of these things. Are, are people just doing this now and they don't care that it's going to give them lung cancer? Like why is this still an issue?
3: You know, I think that's a very good question that you bring up, um, but coming from the beginning, right, when you're active duty, it's the thing to do. It builds camaraderie, right? So for some people, they tell me they, that's the last memory that they have of their friend overseas before they passed away, and that's the last connection that they have. It could also be independence, right? This is something that I have, everybody's taking away my independence and I should have the independence to smoke now. So I don't wanna give this up too in addition with everything else that we're giving up in our culture. In reality, most people do care about the benefits and the the negatives that come to smoking. A lot of people don't realize that it's impacting other people in their life. You're talking about secondhand smoke? Absolutely, that's people in their life, that's animals in their life. People don't realize it can uh, uh, impact pets as well. we also want to talk about third-hand smoking. Most people don't hear about third-hand smoking. I know you're looking at me a little bit. What is going on? So a lot of people don't realize you're smoking. It gets everywhere in your clothes, all over your furniture. For people who are smoking for decades in their house, in their four walls of their home, they're walls are a different color from the tar of their smoking and that impacts them again it impacts other people who are coming into their home whether they're actively smoking or not it can still impact people so that's often time a better motivation for people to want to give up smoking is because they realize it is impacting every single person who's coming in and out of their life
1: And that's a huge issue in Las Vegas, too. I mean, you think about how many casinos and bars and and restaurants here that still allow smoking, which Uh is kind of an archaic thing at this point. There's not a lot of cities in the United States where you can still go to a, a bar that allows smoking. Um, but, you know, Vegas is still uh, still holding on to that. So, but even you know.
3: now, there are some hotels that are giving it up, too. So some very hotels true. and casinos mm-hmm. are, are catching on. To yeah. this I know a lot of the restaurants
2: time. I go to here, they have very specific areas set up if you want to smoke. Mm-hmm. And it's walled off and it's plastic mm-hmm. and air filtration and a whole bunch of things like that. So I know I know a lot of that's changing. Yeah. You've, yeah. you've got to be shoved into the corner, you know, like, like some kind of freak if you, <laughs> you want to smoke. It's so true. Yeah.
1: But, you know, if you, if you want to go to one of those kind of restaurants you know, or a bar like that that's you know that's great but if say you want to go to a casino to see a show you don't have that option the, the casino on the main floor is still gonna allow smoking and no matter how much they try to reduce that through ventilation systems or whatever you know I'll come home after going to a concert and I haven't smoked a cigarette in years and I'll come home and I'll wake up the next day and my clothes still like smell, smell like cigarettes and I'm just like oh god but yeah it's that that third hand smoke that you exactly. talk about Exactly. They are, you don't even really think about it at the time, but mm-hmm. like the next day. And I'm sure if my clothes look like that on the outside, I'm sure I'm probably picking up some residual secondhand smoke as well.
4: Yeah. And the other aspect, too, um, obviously working in the therapeutic setting myself, um, veterans have brought up to me, you know, I've tried to quit before, but, you know, why even bother? The damage is already done. So sometimes we'll hear that kind of conversation or we'll hear, um, you know, I just do it because, or it helps to take the edge off. So some of our folks battle with stress or anxiety or even trauma, and sometimes they find that using tobacco helps to, as a, co- a way to cope. Um, so sometimes we forget that too is a vested piece of, if I don't have this, then what then?
2: so what do you what do you, you know, I mean you always want to replace an addiction with a, a healthier addiction? I, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, <laughs> but right you know yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you want to have mechanism. at least when you're bringing people off of it, right? They you mm-hmm. know, I've been down with lVR three and they talk about diversionary programs and things like that. So if, if somebody's been smoking for twenty five years and you've got to replace that that habit with another habit, what do you recommend to folks that they do?
4: so i'll answer a portion and i'm sure uh, dr rich will add too but a lot of it is learning why why am i smoking what is causing me to go to this is it boredom is it my stress is it my anxiety is it my trauma is it depression is it my kids driving me crazy or my grandkids right Um, knowing what the why is first and foremost can help to identify what that could look like for you and then once you're recognizing what that trigger is and then being able to get at the the piece that's driving it right there's always a stem and a root cause Um, so that's where you can connect with some of our pieces if you're not quite ready for therapy we have whole health and other avenues that you can explore and learning how to manage some of those symptoms
2: because it's not just as simple as smacking a nicotine patch on and and reducing the dose and now I'm now I'm not a smoker anymore right
4: exactly there's always other pieces that are happening you know we're living life we're human (laughs) life is always happening around us so there's always things that could us up and cause us to go back to using tobacco, but it's just learning different techniques and ways to cope and manage that can get us staying on track and maintaining quitting tobacco.
3: There are definitely other techniques that that people don't realize, and I strongly believe that knowledge is power for everything. So I I do hear that time and time again. You're right, Jenna, that, that people think that this is a mechanism for helping their anxiety. In reality, what are people doing when they're smoking? They're taking a big, deep breath in and then releasing it. That's, that's a strategy in and of itself for managing anxiety. It's not the fact that their cigarettes are helping with anxiety. It's the fact that they're taking a deep inhalation in and out, and you can do that without the harmful chemicals.
1: I have a subjective question for both of you. Now, if you're dealing with the chemical addiction and nicotine or things like that associated with, with smoking, do you find that to be easier or harder to treat than the associative behavior addiction? Like, you know, replacing smoking while they're taking a break or while they're driving or something like that.
4: That's a really good question. Um, So a lot of times how I describe this is we all go to the movies, right? (laughs) <laughs> we all do. And if you really think about how the combination works, and our brain is wanting that reward, right? And that's what tobacco gives us and that dopamine release. So when we all go to the movies, what do we think about?
2: Popcorn. Yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> Popcorn, anybody else? The movie. <laughs> the movie. Any other reward that you might be wanting when you go to the movies?
3: Socializing, connecting with people, being around others
4: or even soda or candy, Mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of different aspects that are involved that reinforce our drive or want to go. So when we're sitting in front of that screen, a lot of times we're just mindlessly eating or having conversations or doing things. And we're without recognizing or rewarding ourselves and keeping that stimulus response is what we call that going. So a lot of this is just, scaling back and recognizing what is it that's keeping me in this circle. So it is a chemical piece, but it's also a behavioral part. And a lot of it is being able to highlight and put that recognition on what am I doing that's continuing to perpetuate the cycle.
1: So if someone comes to you and expresses interest in, in quitting smoking, you're not just going in there with the, the mindset of, okay, I need to attack the associated behaviors or I need to give a nicotine patch. You're really doing a holistic approach and trying to come at it from all angles.
3: Exactly. Medications aren't everything. They're not for everybody. Um, They definitely have a place for people who have tried to quit on their own unsuccessfully. They've tried to make that behavior change. Sometimes the first step is adding a medication to give them a, an extra push to create those changes. And that's perfectly okay. So sometimes that is a nicotine patch, nicotine gum, nicotine lozenge. We have prescription medications like Chantix. Everybody hears of those fancy commercials that it came out about Chantix. Um, but we also have many others that we can use um, that might help something else. We have, we have depression medications that also help quit smoking. So we have a wide variety of things that we can use to help uh, people who are
4: wanting medication.
1: So typically if somebody comes, would they come to you first, Dr. Proxen, if if they're going through the the smoking cessation program? So
4: we have what's called primary care um, behavioral health. And a lot of times they can be seen in any of the clinics. Um, And that's a good starting place where they could just come in and ask for help. And then they'd see someone like myself that would do um, just a brief, you know, functional assessment, finding out why why are we doing this? What's happening around them? And what could we do to change that behavior ultimately? And with that, a lot of times then we can have a conversation with our, our pharmacist, our pack pharmacists that are right in our clinics. If they're wanting to have a combination, which is usually highly evidence-based and best practices is to have both the medication and the therapy happening at the same time, we see the best outcomes that way. So a lot of times we'll initiate that warm handoff to our provider and in the same visit, which is really cool, and then they're able to have both the medication and the therapy starting at the same time, and then we'll be able to set goals and do different things um to see changes in terms of
1: use. So I'm assuming you're doing a very personalized approach. Anytime somebody comes in, kind of you know, customizing their treatment options based on what they need and their own you know personal addiction struggles. Um, you know, if if you've got somebody who comes in with more than just smoking, say that's just you know the tip of the iceberg when it comes to, you know, potentially an inpatient treatment um, option. Do you work then with other of the external, or the the other um, treatment organizations, mental health, things like that?
3: Absolutely. So we strongly believe in meeting each veteran where they're at. If you don't want to go into our mental health clinic and an addiction clinic, you don't have to. You can go to any other prescriber to get these medications, whether it be for tobacco or any other addiction you can approach a primary care physician and, and get access to this treatment. Sometimes, like I said, that is the first step. Sometimes medications help get people ready to be in that mindset to then be referred on to a specialty addiction clinic. Um, it's just, like I said, we strongly believe in meeting them where they're at, and we just wanna treat as many people as possible.
1: So we talked a lot about the, you know, how we can go about quitting smoking. Um, we're gonna take a quick break, when we get back, we'll talk about why you should quit smoking.
0: You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003.
4: At 4 in the morning, my phone rang. They said, I regret to inform you that your husband was wounded in action. Victor sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. I was doing school full-time, and I was also then caring for Victor. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. I just didn't want to forget that I also had goals and that I also had a life. What I did is I challenged Victor to meet me halfway. There are almost six million military and veteran caregivers across the nation. We have our own journey, and we can fulfill that journey at the same time. we are helping our loved one visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veterans guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself brought to you by aarp and the ad council
5: hi i'm mike richmond of the u.s department of veterans affairs with this message for veterans if you're a veteran having thoughts of suicide or know of a veteran at risk for taking their own life call the new Veterans Crisis Line number, 988, then press 1. It's available 24-7. This shorter, three-digit number provides an easier-to-remember way to access the Veterans Crisis Line, which links to over 500 VA suicide prevention coordinators. Suicide prevention is VA's top clinical priority, and in the words of VA Secretary Dennis McDonough, during a crisis, every second counts. This new number, he says, Makes it easier for veterans and those who care about them to reach life-saving support without having to be enrolled in VA benefits or health care. For more information, go to veteranscrisisline.net. That's VeteransCrisisLine.net. I'm Mike Richman.
0: Welcome back to the Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray.
1: Welcome back to the Nine Line Podcast. John and Josh here with Dr. Broxson and Dr. Rich. And we are talking about smoking cessation, the Great American Smokeout, and uh, why we should quit smoking. Um, so we talked about how, why should someone quit smoking? I mean, besides the, the number of, you know, plethora of reasons that we hear on TV every day, um, if you have a veteran who comes to you and, or maybe doesn't even come to you, maybe they're being told that, hey, you've got COPD, you have... Emphysema, any number of issues. Maybe they don't want to quit smoking, but they've been told they need to.
3: Yeah, Dr. Ruxin mentioned this earlier that um, you know, by quitting smoking, some people say that it's too late; the damage is done. In actuality, you can still get benefit. You know, within minutes to hours to days to weeks after stopping smoking. So it's never too late for anybody to quit smoking and health benefits is, is definitely part of that. It can be as simple as being able to breathe better. Maybe it's some vanity if we don't wanna <laughs> age faster, but smoking can <laughs> age us incrementally and, and cause more wrinkles. Um, but also it can be as severe as causing cancer, lung cancer, cancer anywhere, tobacco can Im, uh, impact this. Um, I also personally, in in my training, um, when I was a student, witnessed somebody who had to have their foot amputated simply from smoking. There was no other reason, and that's because it causes lack of blood flow. Right, where our blood is not flowing as readily to our extremities, and, and they had to have an amputation. So
2: you talk about you know breathing getting better, and you, mm-hmm. we've all seen the the videos and the photos of healthy lung, smoker lung, right <laughs> next to each other. Um so when you say breathe better, do your do your lungs ever you know, if you've smoked a pack a day for twenty years, what actual impact does that have on your lungs if you if you stop? Right.
3: So everybody can picture the thing from school, the big jar of tar that they were taking and (laughs) showing everybody right i still remember that in school Um, but imagine that in your lungs it's coating the entirety of your lungs and that makes it harder for air to get in to our blood system and then transpire out to inhale and exhale so by stopping that after a couple of months you're going to have increased cell turnover it's going to be nice fresh probably a little hypersensitive to some allergies even now that you've got these fresh cells, um, but it definitely can improve uh, breathing significantly by having the lack of tar.
1: And that's gradually over time or okay? Yeah,
3: after a couple months of stopping.
1: Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. So now you're not talking like years or decades, no. it's just within a matter of months. So exactly. you can get back to healthy lung. Yes, right? okay. you can. So all right, we've got the you know better lung capacity, we have you know, obviously the, the prevention of diseases and things like that, what about financially? What, what is it, a cost, the, the cost of a pack of cigarettes nowadays?
4: I think it's around $10. Oh my gosh, think about the money you could save, or go and invest in yourself in terms of going on maybe that vacation you've always wanted to do, or spoiling your partner or even your grandkids, right, or your kids, the things that you could do potentially if you did save that money.
1: I mean, ten dollars. I mean, and that's assuming you're a pack a day smoker. I mean, there are some smokers who are two packs a
2: yeah, day. That's seventy bucks a week if you're a pack a day smoker. You know, that's, that's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I could do a lot with seventy extra dollars a week. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. I, I you know, a couple of years ago did uh, did a, a story on smoking cessation here and talking to one guy and he he, that was his big thing was the financial benefit. Um, you know, he he talked about it in terms of for him it was like getting a pay raise. Right, and and that was uh, I, I think that was a really effective way of kind of uh, positioning those financial benefits. Like, I'd love a pay raise too. You know, <laughs> it kind of makes me wish I was smoking so I could quit and get a pay raise. You know,
1: <laughs> but you know, I think a lot of the attitude, of the prevailing thought among young military people and younger veterans is, I'm untouchable. You know, they they think well, if I'm deployed. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to die of lung cancer. I'm probably going to die of something a lot more immediate, so they don't think about those consequences at the time. And you know, sure, you you're out running and ruck, you know ruck marching and everything like that. So you're doing all sorts of exercise, and you figure it's probably not going to have all that that much consequence. But you know, some of the the statistics about um, the consequences for women of, of you know reproductive age, mm, it's mm-hmm. really startling about how you know how many birth defects can be linked to smoking and they you know that's people in their 20s and 30s who are, are dealing with those consequences. Um, I know one thing that you used to see when I was living in Europe, we used to see all sorts of like advertisements that were brutally honest about all the consequences of smoking. Um, they're a lot more ahead of the United States, probably. You know, Maybe their lobbies aren't quite as strong, I don't know. But it's, they um, they would have some really brutally honest advertisements about the consequences of smoking, and impotence was a... A big consequence that was obviously targeted at 20s 30s 40 year old men who might not think about the the risks of lung cancer down the road but that might be something a lot more immediate um that they'd be concerned about so um yeah i mean it's it's something that there are so many reasons regardless of your age regardless of your, your gender your demographic um that obviously there's there's so many benefits to, to stopping smoking um Now, one thing that going into a little bit younger, probably than our demographic, but we'll probably start seeing more of um, in the next couple decades, um, e-cigarettes, vaping, Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of Gen Z that has gotten into smoking. You know, we talk about like our generation, we try to quit smoking through vaping or for Mm -hmm. Mm e-cigarettes or whatever because it's less harmful. Well, a lot of them are getting into smoking through vaping.
3: Absolutely. And it's almost like it's the... 50s and 60s all over again. They're <laughs> exactly. doing it through marketing, right? They, it's the cool thing to do. There's not as many harmful chemicals as cigarettes. This is the cool thing. And they're targeting teenagers. And where are those teenagers now? They're going into the military. Now they're retiring from the military. And we're dealing it here with it here in the VA with e-cigarettes. But it still can cause significant lung damage, right? So you have people in their 30s who have, have, need new lungs. They need a lung transplant. It's kind of ridiculous, but these the e-cigarettes are not safe. They're not safe.
2: So uh, you know, I've I've seen plenty of people in, in my personal friend group who don't just say that. Oh, vaping is less harmful. It's it's healthy, right? They they say mm. that you know there's no risks associated with it, anything like that. So uh, when somebody comes to you and if they're if they're a smoker and they're like, oh, I'm going to start vaping instead, what do you do to kind of dissuade them or how do you handle people who come to you and they they say that that vaping is a much better okay you know healthier alternative to smoking
4: so a lot of times i like them tell me more i want to hear what they have to say what the information is and where they've kind of gotten that And then I politely ask if it's okay for me to share my information so that we're honoring the veteran in terms of their autonomy, right? Because sometimes we forget that part. Um, We try to give all of our information and just talk over the veteran, and then that kind of pushes them away from wanting to make that change or wanting to what we call, especially in motivational interviewing around substance use is change talk. We want to drive that change talk and have that conversation of what that could possibly look like and have them start to envision what that change could possibly be and how it would impact them as a whole and even systems around them. Cause we know a lot of our veterans are looking at not only themselves, how often we hear them say, you know, I'm worried about my family member or my partner or something else. So really involving their values. So when we do that conversation, then we're able to fill in the blanks of the misinformation, right? Then we're able to give that information. And then we have them give us that information back so we can understand what they've digested. And then again, we could come back with whatever aspects of conversation to further that change talk so a lot of it is um having more of kind of like we're doing today just that dialogue right um of really hearing what they have to say what they know about it and then we're coming in as our expertise we're not the experts they're the expert in their lives and what they do and what matters most to them so we're just coming alongside and saying here's what i can do to support you in terms of changing
2: how often do you get veterans in front of each of you that are there Against their will, right? Like, they don't <laughs> want to stop smoking, but their wife says that, you know, you should probably go and, and, or their partner, right, says, you should probably go and look into this and, okay, fine, right? And, and you know, y- you're not, you don't have somebody who's receptive to, you know, they're, in a way, they're hostile to what you have to, to offer. Um, how often d- does that happen? And, and what do you guys, what do you do to kind of combat that? Daily. (laughs) (laughs)
3: every single day that I'm at work. But isn't that a great motivation for change, right? Sometimes it is hard to come up with that internally. And, you know, maybe veterans don't care about themselves. They've put themselves on the line, in the line of duty. But the things that they fought for, their loved ones, their freedom, they can use that as an, an amazing motivator to cause change and create this positive change in their life. So I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to want to do it for other people. You know, they weren't forced into my office. They walked there with their own two feet, right? And they're wanting to to change for a reason. They're in my office for a reason. So, yeah.
4: And I'll add to that because it's not uncommon. I mean, how many of us have gone through that ourselves where we're feeling like we have to make a change? And then we're kind of what we use that word ambivalent, right? We're weighing the pros and cons. We're like... Danged if I do, danged if I don't, and we kind of feel that guilt or whatever that could be coming up from that. And then we basically can then capitalize on that and appreciate that and saying, hey, at least I appreciate you showing up to see me today. What is your why? And getting to know what that looks like, kind of like what Dr. Rich was saying and getting in what is their values or beliefs or different pieces that we can pull in to drive that change talk.
1: So with it being the Great American Smokeout coming up, um, what kind of events do you guys have planned here?
4: oh we have a big event so all of our um, different primary care facilities are going to have one of our PAC social workers as well as our PAC pharmacists all day long they'll be hosting a table we'll have our quick kits um, that veterans can take home with them that have different aspects in that kit like gum and some uh, different things to like keep themselves busy like word finding um, also stress management stress balls um, and even a cool tote um, so and then really good education materials Um, that'll be happening at all of our different um, clinics as well as here at our main hospital so that's a big event that we're going to be hosting and that's basically starting at, I think it's at seven and all the way up, excuse me, all the way up until, um, I wanna say about 3.34.
1: Okay, and we'll, we'll have uh, those events posted on social media and uh, you know, for the employees here, we'll be putting out advertisements about that and the uh, the daily updates and the, the weekly highlights. Um, what kind of outreach stuff, I mean, besides coming in to the, the facility itself, what kind of things do the resources do the VA have available? Um, apps, websites, phone numbers, things like that.
3: So we have the Stay Quick Coach app. Um, that's a free app that you can download on your phone. They will have like daily inspirations to keep you going. I think you can even log in how much money you're saving through that app. There are a lot of great resources in that app, so definitely check it out. We also have a group that's through our, our PCBH, which is Primary Care Behavioral Health. Uh, and that's happening Wednesdays from 11 to 12. It's virtual. Um, you just ask your provider how to be referred. So that can be your primary care provider, everybody has that um, and they can refer you on. They can also help to prescribe medications for you or if you just want somebody to give you a phone call you can ask your packed pharmacist or any provider can put in a consult on your behalf for somebody to give you a call to talk about behavioral change and or medications if needed.
1: And are there any kind of like counseling resources or like in-person kind of things that we could do here at the VA?
4: Oh yeah so at any time if you want to get tobacco cessation just individually you don't have to do the group Um, you can just ask to be seen and your provider can put in that consult and someone like myself would just meet with you and be able to do that one-on-one tobacco cessation.
1: Perfect and of course I would be remiss if I did not reinforce the fact that the VA is a non-smoking campus. That doesn't mean just not smoking, it's tobacco free, it's also no vaping. And I know that, um, you know, walking around our facility, we have a beautiful campus and I've seen many uh, cigarette butts laying on the ground by by benches and things. So I know that there are people who are not respecting that. So um, we ask everyone, but especially employees, um, if you see something, say something, you know, politely remind, that, remind people that this is a place of health and healing, and this is a, a non-smoking campus. It has been for a number of years, and um, if you absolutely need to, to smoke, please leave the facility, leave the, the parking lot area, because that's also considered to be part of the grounds. So we, we do have, you know, VA police are, are looking for things like that, so um, it's, it's for your own benefit as well for the other people in the facility, so, um, you know, please respect that. Uh, Ladies, thank you so much for joining us today. Did you have anything else you wanted to to talk about?
3: I think we said everything. I think we did.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. It was a great conversation, and um, we look forward to all the events you guys have going on this month.
0: Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you, and we will see everyone in two weeks.
0: You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash LasVegasVA. Thanks for listening.